Hey, you here? Oh, don't answer. Just nod your head, yes or no. Yeah, yeah, nod your head, just like that. Okay, I've got it from here. <laughs> Let me tell you, this is your announcer speaking. You are listening to the Paul Leslie Hour. Just relax and keep listening. First, we want to thank everyone who has subscribed to the Paul Leslie Hour YouTube channel. Oh, yes. We've been seeing the influx of subscribers, and it is grand. And we're trying to double the number of subscribers before we hit the year 20. I think we're going to make it. Today, we have an interview from the archives. We'd like you to hear this. It's with trumpeter and recording artist Walt Johnson. Now, Walt's a real straight shooter, tell-it-like-it-is type guy. He's going to be telling us a bit about his history as a performer with some of the greatest talents in history. Elvis Presley, Wayne Newton, Frank Sinatra, also Frank Sinatra Jr. Then there's Barry Manilow, Henry Mancini, and lots of others. Walt Johnson's made some great recordings of his own. Need to check them out. Uh, just a quick side note here. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible by listeners and viewers just like you, so if you would, please consider contributing. No amount is too, you know, no amount is too, uh, you know, in the other direction. Simply visit www.thepaulleslie.com slash support, and we thank you. Well, friends, it's time you hear the interview with Walt Johnson. You're going to love Walt Johnson as much as we. Happy listening. Ladies and gentlemen, we're welcoming Walt Johnson. He's a trumpeter, a recording artist, a performing artist. He has performed with a lot of very well-known artists. Elvis Presley, Frank Sinatra, Barry Manilow, Henry Mancini, the Pointer Sisters, Lionel Richie, I could go on and on. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for uh, contacting me. Uh, it's true. Uh, you know, I've, I didn't set out to play with all those people, but it's just being in the right place at the right time and knowing the right people, I guess. Uh, and uh, being able to play the right note at the right time also matters. So that's that's where I've been. So it is important who you know? Well, of course, you know, to, to make it in the music business, it takes pretty much three things, you know, first it takes luck and that under that heading takes means knowing the right people, being in the right place at the right time. Second is talent. You know, you, and when you get the job, you have to play the right notes, rough talent, and then persistence. You know, you, when you're out of work, just keep, don't, don't make a lamp out of it yet. You know, but just keep work, just keep, uh, keep on waiting, you know, and practicing and just, uh, don't give up. Listening to your own recordings, they're best described as jazz. Is it hard being a jazz musician in today's musical landscape? Well, of course, there's that, that story about the, you hear about the jazz trumpet player that won the lottery. They asked him what he was going to do with the money. He said, well, he's just going to keep playing until the money ran out. You know, But, you know, <laughs> there's, really, <laughs> there's really not many, uh, there's not much money to be made in jazz, but I just think that 
you know, it's, and I've never really considered myself a jazz trumpet player. I'm more of a lead trumpet player, and I play what's on the page, you know, the music. But uh, I love playing jazz, but there's always somebody better next to me. I mean, there's some, I've sat next to Freddie Hubbard, Clark Terry, all these great trumpet players, and I'm not going to play the jazz in front of them. You know, i got to pass it to them, of course, you know, so that's, it's always been somebody better. So it just kind of intimidates me, but I like to play jazz. Where are you from? I grew up in El Monte, California, in a small town. It's still there. It's really nice. I was drafted out of Los Angeles City College. Actually, I, I went with Cy Zentner's band out of Los Angeles City College. They drafted me off the band. I was with Cy for eight months. He had, he, Cy Zentner had a hit record, Up a Lazy River, if you remember that. And, and uh, it had a little kiss off on the last note, a little, you know, trumpet, da, da, da like that. And so I was the, uh, the, the, I get the phone call. I'm sitting at home and I get the phone call. They said, Hey, can you do the jingle kiss off on the end of, <laughs> I was 19 years old. I said, well, I guess, uh, yes, I can. So, you know, I found myself on size so Zenner's band and, uh, but in Las Vegas, I'm up on the stage there and they, the, the marshal comes up and he hands me my draft notice. And said uh, greetings from the United President of the United States, and uh, I served a year in, v- in uh, Vietnam. Actually, I was in the band in Vietnam, so I didn't practice keep my chops up. But they say you get your job back when you get out of the army. I went right to Las Vegas, where Cy Zenner was, and he gave me a two-week job playing, and I got several offers from that, and that's how my name just started getting around. And that's what happens: you're in the right place at the right time. Like I said, knowing the right people. What branch were you in, in the armed forces, when you were in Vietnam? I was in the 1st Air Cavalry Division. Then I got transferred to USERI, which is, you know, the United States Army Vietnam, and Van Wah. But I was in the first six months, I was in the 1st Air Cavalry Division band, which was in Phuc Vinh. And we we did play little uh, concerts, uh, but most of the time we're pulling duty, like guard duty and... Uh, uh, various other things. When you finished with Vietnam, what was your aspiration? What were you going to try to do then? Well, they they do say I, I don't remember if, what the law was, but every time you you're, when you're drafted, you're supposed to get your job back when you get back out of the, when you serve your two years. So I served my two years, and I bought a car and drove to uh, Las Vegas, and I show up at the Tropicana Hotel where. He had the band where Les Eisenman had the band. And I said, well, hey, here I am. I'm back. I'm ready. And he looked at the trumpet section, and they, you know, and they look at me like, hey. And he says, well, you know, I'm happy with the trumpets I have now. I'm sorry. But he did give me two weeks with Julie London up in the Blue Room. And I, he featured me in this one little solo in Ed type, And I hit a high G, and, you know, and um, I don't know. I got several offers, one from the Dunes, one from uh, Paul Anka. And the other one was to be on the house band at the Landmark Hotel, which I thought, oh, that's great. And I took that, that job, and it was steady, and I was there for a year, worked my way up to lead trumpet, and then I was on the Hague Relief Band, which played a different show every night. I was on that band for three years, and that's where I met all these different conductors, and you know, met Sinatra's conductor, and met uh, Wayne Newton, and you know, all those. I played every show in Vegas at that time on the Relief Band which is a very good job. Ended up with Wayne Newton for three years. 
from Wayne Newton. I quit Wayne Newton to go with Elvis Presley because his lead trumpet had passed away in an auto accident. So I, I took his place, and I, I enjoyed that. It was a really prestigious and unusual job where I'm playing in those arenas with Elvis Presley. We're 10 days home, 10 days on tour. And then one day we're flying from Pueblo, Colorado, to uh, supposedly to Portland, Maine, and for a concert. And we get word that Elvis passed away, and he died. That was shocking. So I didn't know what I was going to do. And out of a job and, you know, just a, a real party job. It was great, you know, but I get back to, uh, to Las Vegas and, um, only I couldn't see myself just sitting there with a bow tie playing these shows anymore, Liberace and all that. So I called some people I knew in Los Angeles. They said, come on down and we'll, we'll set you up with a TV show and here and there. And just, and that's, you know, knowing the right people, being in the right place at the right time. And persistence. That's that's what it takes. So you spent, you said, three years with Wayne Newton? I did. I don't really put that on my resume, but I think, yeah, it was about two or three or two or three years, I think. It was uh, off and on. But see, what, what happened was when Wayne was, was off, I played second trumpet with Elvis Presley next to Pat Houston, who was the early trumpet, the one that passed away. And when Pat got, was died i took his place but for about uh well i guess about six months or more i was doing elvis and wayne newton at the same time but not playing lead it wasn't until till pat died that I, I took that place and it was a better because you got more money and you got your own room and all that you know so it's better we're talking with trumpeter walt johnson when you got the gig with elvis presley did you have an initial meeting with him, or was it just kind of all professional? Well, it's through the conductor. Uh, Joe Gershio was his personal conductor, and Joe hired me, And which in later years, Joe and I became very good friends. And he's, you know, they, they took and made a screen show in 1998. They put Elvis up on it, you know, without his, I call it the Dead Elvis Reverse Karaoke Show is what it is, but they've got Elvis up on a screen and live band. And we, we've toured all the over the world with that thing, all over the place with that. South America, Europe, and uh, Australia, all, all over Japan. Stig Edgerton was the producer of that. But all uh, Elvis's original band, which was there, Ron Todd on drums and James Burton on guitar. And we toured with Elvis up on the screen. And that was his, just like being there, only Elvis never forgot the words. And he was always there on time. And it was just, you know, it's great. So that's, uh, it was Joe Gersio was my connection to get the job. I called him and he said to me, he says, well, you're never going to quit Wayne Newton. And I said, uh, will you give me some, a chance to work on it? So I went into Wayne Newton. I did the proper channels. I talked to his manager first. He said, I'm going to meet him with Wayne. I was going to ask him for a big raise and I knew he wouldn't, I wouldn't get it. And I, that was the way I was going to be able to go with Elvis. So <laughs> I go in and Wayne, I'll never forget it. He, he says to me, he says, Walt, this isn't an open forum. I'm going to do the talking. He says, when I met you, you were out of work. That wasn't true. He says, you wanted to be my lead trumpet player. I made you my lead trumpet player. You, you wanted more money. I gave you more money. He says, and now you want this? He says, and he starts crying. And this is the worst thing that's happened to me since Aramis died. And he says, now get out of here. 
So I went out and I saw his manager standing at the door and I said, two weeks notice. And I quit just like that. And I, then I was out just, just Elvis was my job. I had 10 days out, 10 days back. And, and nobody was thinking of him dying. I thought, well, this is a great job. They'll do forever, you know, but no, things last just like, um, which we're going to talk about Frank Sinatra Jr. was with him for 28 years. And we're doing this great tour of the centennial tour with his father, you know, um, about his father. And he passed away in Daytona on March 16th this year, last year, you know, so been tough. I was with his dad, too, when he died, you know, I was playing for him when he died. So that's three times that's happened to me now. I'm thinking it's me, darn, you know. <laughs> with all the artists that you've performed with, you've worked with, as we've, as we've already mentioned, Frank Sinatra, Frank Sinatra Jr., Wayne Newton, Elvis Presley. There's been a lot of artists you've worked with. Has there been any that you were the most impressed with? Well, of course, Mancini and his beautiful arrangements. And I, I, actually, um, Harry Connick, I was on his band for for three months, also touring with his band. And, and he does arrangements on the bus at night, and then the band plays them the next day. You know, and they print them out on the you know the computer. But Henry Mancini, uh, uh, all his compositions, and he was just a very sweet fellow, nice man. Elvis was was an incredible singer, although people don't give him credit for that. He would just he could sing great, uh, even up to the last day. Frank Sinatra Jr. was a great, as well as a great musician and singer. He was a great orator, and he uh, did several books that he, you know, talk talking books, and he did uh, every narration uh, every year with his high school reunion. He made a a, a disc of, for them to uh, of the reminiscing of his high school years, and he just. That was his really uh, his forte that he liked to admit was his oration, narration. You know, he just had a great speaking voice. I, I was impressed with, you know, all, I mean, they're some incredible talents. There's a reason these people are where they are, you know. I mean, Wayne Newton says he could play every instrument. Yeah, I could play one song on every instrument, but still, that's pretty impressive, you know. And he, he's a great, he's a great showman. And he, he followed the crowd. If he said, saw the crowd liked his country song or saw it liked the ballads or if they liked his up tunes or something, the show tunes, he, he'd go in that direction and he'd please the crowd. And he, he's a, no, always a standing ovation, always, you know. And, he, you know, he's great. So it's just the musicians put, put Wayne Newton down because he wanted them to participate in the show. And, you know, musicians, they don't, they, they're looking at their, you know, the musician salute is, you know, they're, they're looking at their watch. You know, that's the musicians. <laughs> you know, so, but they're, they, uh, they don't want to look like they're having a good time. It just, but he, he insisted on that, but I had it down, you know, every time he turned around, I'd be clapping and smiling and then he'd turn back around the audience and I'd be like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you keep your job with Wayne Newton, you know? And I was warned by the, I was warned when I first joined Sinatra by, by Don Baldini, the, the bass player. He said, Hey, stay away from him. You know, you may not like your cologne and it'll fire you. And and it's true. I remember Bob Pearson, I don't know, he was feeling his oats one day and he just went up to Frank Sinatra, he was the lead alto player, and he put his arm around him and starts going, ah, and joking around. And he was gone. He was gone by the end of the rehearsal. <laughs> uh, I see. That was fun. The relationship with Frank Sinatra, senior in this case, was a very professional one. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, professional. I just, uh, I must have talked to him like maybe uh, five times in, in 10 years. And it was always small talk, like, how are you feeling? How are you doing? How's your, how's your throat? And, and just, uh, yeah, just small talk. And same with Elvis. You know, I, I was, you know, intimidated to go up to him and talk to him, but, you know, I just talked to him like a couple of times in, in three years. I've worked for Elvis for three years. Yeah. We're talking with Walt Johnson. Why do you suppose it is that the instrument you ended up on was the trumpet? What is it about the trumpet well, that you like? Well, I, I remember when uh, Mr. Johnson <laughs> came around to our school, and uh, I was uh, nine years old, and he came around to school and he demonstrated all the instruments, and a trombone, clarinet, you know, and sax, and he played that trumpet. And it's like, oh, that's for me, that's the loudest. <laughs> that's why I picked the trumpet. I kind of regret it in a way because, you know, other musicians, they don't have to practice every single day. But the trumpet is a, a daily chore to keep the muscles up. You know, the, you know, that thing, that same where if you don't practice one day, you notice it. Two days, other musicians notice it. Three days, everybody notices that that, that really fits with the trumpet. You know, your muscles try to go back to their natural state, which is not playing trumpet. And I, I, actually, I have a Maynard Ferguson concert I have to give, um, you know, playing featured in at the Catalina Club in Hollywood on May 3rd when I get done. I'm, I'm on vacation right now when I get back. So I'm practicing every day just <laughs> while I'm out on, on vacation. So it's not really vacation. Well, it is, of course, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> Listening to your own, your solo albums. There's a certain collaborative effort with the musicians when you're recording. What do you look for in a musical collaborator? Musical collaborator meaning uh, somebody you're working with? What, what is the, the um, communication so when, between us? Or, or? Yeah, what do you, when you decide to work with somebody, for example, in a studio situation, what is it that you look for in another person when you work with them? Well, there's there's a certain uh, chromosome friendliness to music that you can feel. You know, I can tell if a person is a good musician even when they play a march or some. You know, just I mean, you just something about some some people that are musical. You know, and you can tell. It just I don't know, and I don't know how else to say it. Just a, a musical person. You have several albums to your credit. And by albums, I mean the 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 albums that are Walt Johnson albums, as opposed to playing on someone else's album. What is it you're trying to accomplish when you make a record? Well, I, I remember the first record I made was um, it's called Trumpet Scroll, and it, it features high notes on trumpet, you know, and uh, and it's kind of like trumpets, um, you know, that's the thing they like to play high notes, you know, and it's kind of showing off, and it's like an opera singer who can hit the highest note and stuff but uh i was at thanksgiving dinner and uh, my uh, stepbrother had put put on the uh the album and i i couldn't uh i couldn't believe that, that i was listening to it at thanksgiving dinner this all these screaming high notes and i was like ah that was offensive so i said i'm gonna make music that's a little more friendly to listen to and you could play at the dinner table i meant not dinner music but just kind of hip hip music and that's that's what i came up with so just I, all my rest of my albums are smooth jazz i did put 
on the uh, ladies album, which incidentally, Frank Sinatra Jr. is probably one of his last recordings. He sang Nancy on my ladies album CD, which uh, Ron Foyer arranged. It's that kind of music that I'm after now. And it's sort of just easy to listen to. I don't think anybody really appreciates high notes in their face anymore. I mean, some, I mean, trumpet players do. And it's exciting, but only in the right place, but certainly not at the dinner table. And just going along in the radio, what song would you stop and listen to? You know, would it be the high note one or would it be the soothing one? Probably soothing. There, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And that's 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 the direction my music has taken me. Uh, and you can see, tell if you've listened to Warmth of the Sun, which is by far the biggest selling of my albums. And it's all kind of smooth jazz, no high notes. Well, you said Warmth of the Sun is the best-selling album. Which one is your favorite? That would Well, my favorite, of course, is Trumpet Scroll, which is show <laughs> off the high note one, because my son and I worked on it. And it was, you know, it was just a pet project, but it was my first one. So I had taken Bill Chase's place. They called me to take Bill Chase's place with the Chase Band, and we did an album called Watch Closely Now, and that influenced my playing, too, because I love that cascading trumpet sound of the you know, the trumpet, da, na, 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 na. you know, that kind of, I love that trumpet trippery stuff, and I, I tried to incorporate that into the, that album. I wanted to talk a little bit about the ladies album that you did. Mm -hmm. What inspired that idea? Well, um, I guess I had written a song for my ex-wife. <laughs> you know, I kind of regret it now, but no, it was uh, that. Uh, I wrote that song and then I said, well, that's got, I wrote her name and then I wanted to do Maria and, you know, all the other, uh, all the other names and Maria was, was my favorite song. And, I, and that was the only one I featured in the, like a high note thing, but the others, Laura, and it's, it's all women's names, including the Freddie Hubbard's Bridget was, was his wife, a song he wrote for his wife. So that was just a, kind of a, an idea. I had uh, all women's names. And the song that has Frank Sinatra Jr. singing on it, you mentioned it's probably one of the last recordings that he made of his voice. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was, and it was actually done before he had throat cancer. Yeah, I'm sure it was probably uh, definitely the last recording, and I don't think he did any recordings after he did had throat cancer. So, but he was coming back and certain, certainly he came back great and we were singing a full show uh, you know the Sinatra Centennial show and we were you know doing in the middle of that and uh, had just done a tour of Europe they played at uh, Royal Albert Hall standing ovation I took pictures of it from my seat in the trumpet section and we had a very successful thing I called it the Sinatra Centennial show he had written the whole show and he was singing his father's songs and you know he did sound a little like his father you know, people always compared him. And as a matter of fact, I, I heard a commercial and I thought, I we heard that commercial that singing. I says, yeah, I did that. I thought, and I thought it was his dad. So it's just, you know, you can't, you can't really tell on some songs, you know, that it's, but the others you can, the difference in that people are always comparing the two. He was um, a fine musician. I, I'm getting off on different branches here, but. Tell me what your original question was. You went to that. Oh, we were just talking about that being his last recording. Oh, yeah. It was absolutely fine. I don't mind that you branch off. In fact, it's it's interesting. 
You're 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 good as an interviewee. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know, like it's in there somewhere. You know, I've been there all these places and all these people, like you say, and it's just you know, we started talking about Henry Mancini. He was a sweetheart, a really nice man, took us out to dinner. Frank Jr. every night took us out to dinner. Every night after the show and I was gaining weight, you know, as as everybody in the band was, you know, he even had names, nicknames for all of us, you know, the tons of the pioneers, you know, and the, he was, <laughs> yes, sir, you are fat, and, you know, every uh, <laughs> tab at large and stuff. But he had nicknames for all of us. My, mine was Whitaker Wall. That's from the Russians are coming. And the drummer was Uncle Salty, you know, and the piano player was Moses. And then his manager, Sergeant Major, you know, he had all these these names that he called us. Yeah, I first met him when I played the Muppets show. He and his Nancy were at the International Hotel. Later, I played in Fresno, of all places, with Pat Longo's band, and he, he came in and sang with the band. I was going to tell you that one time we were had a meeting in Atlantic City where Frank Jr. got us, us into a private room, and he says, guys, this goes no further than this. He says, and as a matter of fact, if indeed anybody asks you about this meeting, you refer to it as Project Saffron. You know, it's very serious and we're all like Project Saffron, okay? And he told us that about him, he'd been offered for us to all do a Broadway show and he'd be conducting and singing and, you know, it was a Broadway show. And he said, it's so secret. He says, I don't want you to even breathe a word of it. He says, so Project Saffron. So we're on the bus the next day in Carl Fontana, the <laughs> the, uh, the trombone player he passed away a great guy he says hey I, you know I was down in the, the boardwalk yesterday he says and there's a little shoeshine boy came up to me and he says he says you know about that Project Saffron and he goes well, he says you know about that he goes yeah that gig ain't going to happen that was to Carl's humor that was great great funny guy ah <sighs> So Frank Sinatra Jr., he seems like he was a very intelligent and also funny guy. Yeah. Yeah, and just very personable and very, you know, he had that voice, that big voice, you know, and he always answered the phone, yes. I don't know why he did that, yes. Yeah. Frank, well, are you mad at me? <laughs> no, well, yes. <laughs> when he was a guest on this program, he spoke for more than an hour, and a lot of people commented. They said, he never called you Paul once. He, it, it almost sounded like a, a like a professor in college. You'd say, and you know what else, Mr. Leslie? And, Mr. <laughs> and, then, and then he'd go into the next point. Yeah. Well, people called him Mr. Sinatra, you know, after, uh, I mean, when his father died, we were sitting around the dinner table. He lifted a. Uh, a glass of Stolichania, and he said, guys, you're looking at the new Mr. Sinatra, and we all click glasses. Yeah. Different. Yeah. And and we were all waiting, oh, what you all going to be working, and then we weren't, you know? <laughs> no, we did. It was, it was a great run. It's like, people tell me I had a 28-year run with him. That's pretty good. If anybody you can work for 28 years, that's amazing. But it wasn't supposed to end so soon, just so sudden like that. You know, we're in Daytona, and I was um, there with, I, I saw him, went to uh, um, apartment store. I mean, we went to a drugstore just 
He bought, I bought mouthwash. He bought some uh, flashlights. This is about 1230. We, we had breakfast at Bob Evans. And I last I parted away, he got in the elevator, and I said, I'll see you at 4.30. And he said, okay, well, you know. And uh, I, I show up at 4.30. I'm in my gig suit with my pass on and everything and my trumpets. And I, I waited for five minutes, waited for 10 minutes, and I called Merrill. And Merrill says, you didn't hear? And I said, what? He had a massive heart attack. And he's in the hospital. I was like, oh, no, man. And then we're uh, all the band were just sitting outside in the patio. And Isaac had his telephone in his hand, and he's talking to his mother, who was his, the, our manager at Andrea. And he's gone. And that was it. That was, it was, and he died. Like, was shocking, shocking. Yeah. 72 years old. And, uh, yeah, and he was prime. And yeah, he had suffered about with uh, prostate cancer, and then he had suffered also with throat cancer which miraculously a singer with throat cancer and he came back singing. And I mean, for, for a year he was eating through a tube in his uh, chest, you know, you know, pour some white stuff in there. And when we became very close the last couple of years, he moved to the city where I live and, uh, you know, we go out to dinner a lot in Tasha. So, and I just understand that uh, his wife, who they were no longer married, but, there's one time wife, she just passed away a couple of days ago from flu. Yeah. Cynthia Sinatra, you know who, who, that, who I'm talking about? I, I, I knew of her, but I, I never met her. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I was actually, yeah. I was actually at that hotel in Daytona Beach, Florida. When Mr. That, the motel? That, the, uh, the, yeah. The hotel, the, the Hilton Garden Inn. I was recording you an there? interview. I was there, yes. When uh, when he passed away? Yeah, yeah. Around that same time, maybe about an hour before, uh, I, I was taping an interview with Terry Woodson. Oh, very good. Yeah. So you live in California? Yeah. Yeah, I live in Camarillo. Uh -huh. What do you think about California? I know that's... Well... <laughs> this could go well, anywhere. <laughs> I, I, Politically, uh, better not to say. And uh, <laughs> and other than that, weather can't beat it. Sports teams, I'm an Angel fan, and, and Clippers. Now, I, I, I've always lived in, I couldn't imagine living anywhere else really now. I don't like Vegas, the heat, and Arizona's too hot. But it's nice here right now. I'm in uh, Santan Valley, Arizona, and uh, visiting our 10 grandchildren and my wife, Jessica. And it's just a great, it's great outside right now. How does someone know when they've made it? <laughs> well, I know my son. Let, let me just talk about my son. My son had several jobs, construction work, and worked in a pizza place and all this stuff. And uh, I told, showed him pro, how to work Pro Tools, you know. The, the instant, and, uh, and he took it on and he went to school and learned Pro Tools really well. Now, for the last nine years, he's the sound editor on the Young and the Restless television show. He's won four Emmys. He's up for another one this year and nominated almost every year. And I think he's made it. I think he has made it. And in in I think that if you can make a living 
off trumpet or if you can make a living off anything and just then you've made it, you know. Doing something you want to do. Yeah, or just falling into something that, that uh, yeah, that, that turns out to be good, you know. I mean, I don't, I don't really, to be honest, you know, it's not fun to practice anymore. It's not fun. It's a chore. I guess the gratification is when you, you get there and all the other musicians are are waiting. Oh yeah, you're Walt Johnson. I want to hear, I want to hear how you sound. And then you, know, you make a couple mistakes, and like, oh, or you play good, and they're like, eh. you know, so it's like you're, you're mostly playing for the other musicians more than you're on the crowd. To be honest, it's always been like that. <laughs> yeah, you can ask anybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is the best thing about being Walt Johnson? <laughs> well, I, it's funny. I this trumpet player I was sat next to uh, recently. He says, "Man, I love sitting next to a legend." And so I asked Terry Woodson. I said, "What is that legend when he goes old?" <laughs> <laughs> So that's, yeah, that's pretty much, it's just, I've pretty much done it all, in my opinion. I, I don't see where I really want to achieve greater things on Trump. I, I, to me, I've done enough. And I'm, I know that I'm not going to hit the highest note, because the highest note on Trump has not yet been hit. <laughs> For anyone who's listening in, wherever they might be, what would you say to them? I'd say that you have to be confident and enjoy life. If you get to a place where you're, you feel confident that you can do what you like to do and, and, but enjoy it, you know, don't, don't let time pass you by by worrying about it. Worrying doesn't help. Worry's a killer, as they say. Yeah, stress and killing yourself. You know, no such thing as a problem, only a solution. Sometimes those solutions bring more problems, though. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say you just to enjoy life while it, while you have it, because well, I mean, look at look at Frank Junior, look at Elvis, look at Frank Senior. They're just poof, gone, fleeting. Yes, yeah. and uh, fleeting. So, t- tell me about your radio show. What? Uh, Yeah, we've been doing this for 13 plus years now, and it's a talk show. And also, I play musical selections along the way. And oh, very good. Do you have some? Of, can you play my uh, Nancy with Frank Jr.? I absolutely could. Yeah, that'd, oh, that'd be great. Yeah, he he didn't. He wasn't particularly thrilled about the arrangement when he sang it, but it was Ron Foyer, and it. I had to stick with it. He was my—he's my friend, and I didn't want to hurt his feelings, you know. So, but I was going to tell you that we had uh, my wife and I had last Christmas. We get a phone call on Christmas Eve, and Frank Jr. said, "You want to join us for Christmas dinner?" And we we took us to Morton's in Beverly Hills. He and his girlfriend Tasha and uh, the realtor friend, just my wife and I, was just the five of us. We got pictures from that night. That was just last Christmas, you know. That shows that that just tells you that I, I felt you wouldn't do that if it wasn't close. You know, why would he invite us? And, and in, in our, you know, the whole band in his refrigerator had mugs with our with our names on them, frosty mugs. Wow. And, uh, the very first time, just kind of an idea of what Frank Jr.'s mind was like. I 
uh, very first time I was on tour with his father, he, he was conducting for his father. And we were in Australia with Liza and Sammy. And we're in the elevator. And it just I just happened to, in the hotel, I was in the elevator just with Frank, you know, and I, I was a little nervous. And I'm, hey, uh, what you been doing? And he goes, oh, I've been reading. Oh, what you reading? He says, I've been reading the dictionary. And he says, oh, the dictionary. He says, yeah, do you realize how many meanings the word run has? I said, no, nine meanings. And then I start thinking, like, well, let's see, run, run in your stocking, run, dog run, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, that was that was one of my first conversations ever with Frank Sinatra. And then we got to, of course, through the years, 28 years later, we got to know each other a lot better. <laughs> but uh, that was that's just a little insight. And, you know, he just, he could talk about any subject. He just, you know, and uh, just really uh, interesting man, as, as you know, you, you talked to him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he very much was. I wish somebody had made a documentary film or written a book about him. Really, really. I mean, and he's a gifted composer. Have you heard the song Spice? Absolutely. And and, and uh, Over the Land, which he composed and, and then uh, Billy May did the uh, arrangement of, and it had all the flags from the United States flags that he put up on the stage, and he remembered all the words to that. He wrote that. Incredible, performed it. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know Over that the one. I don't. I'm not familiar yeah, with that. Yeah, great. I think. Uh, yes, yeah, sad he's gone. It really is. Yeah. What is so, in the future? I, what is in my future? Yeah, the in the future of Walt Johnson. Uh, few, well, I, I've got to do this Maynard concert coming up, and I have some. Uh, Various. I'm playing with Tex Panicky's band and stuff like that coming up. Little shows, but but I want to. I'm in my RV. I've got a studio, uh, you know, a Pro Tools studio and a microphone and and um, all the the gadgets. And I'm going to do a Christmas album, working on it and write original tunes and some uh, religious songs and Christian Christmas album. And I want to get uh, get rolling on that and just play stuff that I want to do. I really don't feel like gone in any cruise ship gigs or anything like that you know i'm almost retired i have to say 70 years old but you don't you shouldn't really always retire i still want to play but just stuff i want to do on your terms leisurely yeah kind of kind of yeah if i don't want to do it i don't want to do it yeah if if it's not the money it's it's just like uh you know i don't feel like doing that yeah that's a great privilege when we can afford not to do that when you're not to do what you don't have to do. <laughs> I mean, in the old days, I take every job, like Chinese funerals and uh, jug bands and, you know, uh, in the mood, Mickey Gates, TV shows, everything. Anything written on a 50. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if anybody pays you to honk on a piece of metal, you better take it. That's, that's what I, I used to say. Yeah, not so much anymore. I'm enjoying life with my wife and our two little Yorkies, Mickey and Minnie. Oh, their their ears just went up when I said that. Hmm. <laughs> funny. You've got a great laugh, by the way. Thank you, man. <laughs> Anyone out there, if they want more information, they can visit waltjohnsonmusic.com. There's a bio on there. There's some press and reviews that you can read. Anything you might want to know, 
So you can visit waltjohnsonmusic.com. So my last question, who is Walt Johnson at heart? At heart? Boy, that's that's a deep question, man. I'm a gentle soul, Christian, uh, God-fearing, Vietnam veteran. Let's see, uh, angel fan, good husband, grandfather, father. <laughs> what, what can I say? Take care of my mother. She's 93, 94. Wow. And she'll be, you know, there's hope for me. I may be live that long. It'd be great, man. Hope it's in the genes. Well, Mr. Johnson, thank you very much for joining us here on the program. If you're ever in the well, Southeast, by all I, means. I, okay, I'll, I'll look you up. Well, I, I appreciate the uh, the publicity, and uh, if it helps sell CDs on CD Baby, you know, I've got all my CDs for sale out there, and I'll just put a little plug in for that, I guess. Absolutely. And it doesn't hurt. It costs a lot to make those things, and it's going to be... I'll probably uh, never see all that money come back. But it's like the guy said, well, I've got a million seller. He goes, really? He says, yeah, i got a million of them in my cellar. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right, we'll go out on that joke. Well, sir, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you. Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepaulleslie.com. That's thepaulleslie.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, the entertainer, written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano, the traditional song, Corina, Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. And we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.